You're listening to the Global Ooj Podcast, where every week we learn about the world through the eyes of entrepreneurship with your host, Ujwal Velagapudi. On today's show, we have Tariq El-Sharif, the founder and CEO of Zenobi, a fintech company which uses its technology and advanced analytics to provide financial products for underserved markets. Zenobi was listed in Financial Times' fastest-growing companies in the Americas and is number one in Colombia. They have raised $30 million in debt financing just this year from ex-Goldman Sachs executive Ali Meli, and also equity in their prior rounds from VC firm QED Investors. Tarek is a New York-born, UK-raised, Columbia MBA grad who started his career as an investment banker. Enjoy our conversation. Right, welcome everybody to this episode. We are here today with Tarek El-Sharif from Zenobi. It is a fintech company based out of Colombia. Tarek, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thank you. So could you tell us a little bit about what Zenobi does, uh, where your roots are from, how you guys exactly got started? Sure. So Zenobi, as you said, is a fintech uh, based in Colombia. We have been exclusively operating in Colombia uh, for most of our life until this year where we expanded to Mexico. And uh, what, what we focus on is developing uh, financial products for underserved markets. Um, so we initially started focusing on consumer credit and uh, trying to apply this data-driven model uh, which uh, you know got rid of bureaucracy, made kind of the language more accessible, and also implemented a, a more inclusive um, credit scoring system. Uh, so a lot of these models were taking, uh, taking hold in uh, more developed markets, and I think they were just selling themselves more on the kind of on the speed and the user experience and uh, uh, kind of a different tone to communicate with, uh, with customers. Uh, in emerging markets, it has all of that, but it has the inclusive angle as well. So, uh, for example, in Colombia, the population is about 50 million people, and there's only 8 million people with credit cards. So, uh, we, were, we developed this product, which was kind of a revolver, so it mimicked a credit card but without the plastic, uh, that was very short-term, more liquidity product. So. Ordinarily, that, that might compete with uh, overdraft facilities or, or cash advances from a credit card, which are not uh, prevalent here. So that was kind of our, 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 our space to begin with. But as we grew, uh, you know, we had to develop our platform uh, for this product and we had to build it uh, from scratch. At that time, there wasn't many options out there of third-party softwares that you could use. So through the years, uh, developing this platform and building, you know, different modules to accommodate different parts of the credit cycle. Uh, you know, we started opening our mind to the possibility of, you know, maybe monetizing the software more than the balance sheets. And I think uh, that's kind of my view for kind of sustainability for a lot of uh, balance sheet uh, lenders out there. Uh, so we, we started selling other products, then selling, then talking with partners where we wouldn't be funding and, and uh, selling just our, our IP. And then last year, we, we launched an, uh, an SME product, same methodology that everything was online, data-driven, again, accessing kind of more underserved uh, uh, markets. 
and we partnered with the government uh, uh, in, in they were providing us funding and guarantees for the loans um, and then we got to, a chance to work with the government again this year as part of the kind of the COVID relief efforts so our expertise in, in dealing with um, uh, independent workers uh, was uh, uh, was brought to the forefront because it was since it was an underserved market and we were uh, one of the the key players in that market uh, and we were digital which uh, is even more important in these times where everybody's quarantined um, it, it got us a very good opportunity to work with the government got us a lot of good exposure and I mentioned that we kind of expanded to another another country so uh, uh, this year also we we formalized uh, a joint venture with a, with a large financial institution in Mexico uh, where we were, were going to be developing a, a uh, uh, an SME product, so very similar to the one that we have here in Colombia. Uh, I think they're going to start giving out loans in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, and it's a 50-50 you know, partnership uh, where we're contributing just our, our IP, which is kind of validation for everything that we've built. So it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big milestone for us. One is international expansion. One is actually monetizing our technology. Wow, that, that's amazing. I mean, especially during this time to be able to work with the government in tandem is that how, how did that come about exactly as far as your partnership with the government was that in the works beforehand or did you guys step up to the forefront and offer that assistance and how has that been going especially in the last few months so it was uh timing really that we got called so um uh, we had lines communication lines with the government uh because kind of this fintech alternative finance sector is new and we're growing so we've done uh, you know, over one and a half million uh, credits to date and, and, you know, starting to get relevant. Uh, so um, we started, you know, uh, opening these lines up just to introduce ourselves and introduce the concept of the business. It was important to get, uh, you know, the, the, the policymakers and the regulators uh, you know, up to speed with what we're doing because I think this country has uh, low trust overall and there were a few uh, fraudulent entities that came about, pyramid schemes and so forth. So we want to kind of distinguish ourselves and let people know what we're doing and that it was uh, beneficial uh, for, the, for the economy. And then uh, when uh, kind of the pandemic hit and uh, the government was deploying funds to uh, a lot of the banks, uh, as a means to kind of put it into the population. Um, I think they found that certain hard hit segments such as independent workers and small businesses were not, uh, you know, getting those funds and they were, they were the, some of the hardest hit. So uh, they reached out to us because they, they had understood our model and that we were going for these underserved markets. And uh, so we were the first company selected and uh, the, the only company, I think, uh, to date that's, that's participated in this program uh, with, with some of the banks as well. Um, so it was very good, very good uh, milestone for us, I think. I think any time that, you know, a new, newer company can do some type of partnership with the government is quite significant in any, in any part of the world. Oh, yeah. In any market, especially. I mean, can you go a little bit more into detail about exactly how that partnership work because I know having worked to a small extent with governments abroad it can be difficult even you know where I am in the states today it is very difficult it is very slow so especially when the pandemic hit how were you able to roll that out so quick 
the slowness was overcome uh, because of the kind of the sensitivity and 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 uh, and, and, and getting things out there quickly and the messaging that the government was helping as as well. So, which is good and bad. I think it was good in that we could uh, uh, we we could uh, you know got the green light very very quickly. But the bad part is that uh, I think the the product the initial product uh, needed some tweaking uh, in regards to maybe kind of risk appetite and and uh, and tenor and and so forth because it was a little bit rushed and it had a lot of different units in the government working together and uh, and I think they were, it it was tough for anybody you know to to uh, kind of coordinate and communicate. Uh, in time and then and then I think there were deadlines on the PR side for the president to announce and so forth uh, but uh, we've been working with them you know to make some of those tweaks to make it uh, uh, have more impact uh, so they have been uh, very very responsive uh, there but I think yeah the speeds was helped because they had to uh, they had that quickly and you said you had to do a few tweaks so was the product do you think ready for that scale or did you still you know, are you still working on it? So, some of the tweaks are, so how the product worked is that the government, uh, really all they could provide because liquidity was short were guarantees. So because they were providing guarantees, um, they wanted to control that exposure. So they set some filters as far as, you know, we knew it was independent workers and, and small businesses, and they set certain criteria of who qualified. And then they also set you know, the, the maximum, uh, 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 you know, principal amount and, and maturity for the loan. And there was a little bit of a mismatch there as far as having loans maybe a little bit too small given the filters that we had on the credit that kind of filtered to a much uh, safer client who maybe had more options. So the product was not as appealing as, as it should have been. So... I think uh, what we came back to them with is that, you know, we could have gone, uh, we can go either way. We can, you know, do larger loans with these filters or we could do smaller loans with kind of a loosening uh, of some of these filters. So, And about your products exactly. So you've got one that would you say is more of a B2C and another one that's more of a B2B? Correct. Correct. And, and then we're mixing the two and going, you know, uh, B2B to C. Um, uh, in that, you know, some of the small businesses, if they're if they're customer facing, you know, we're giving credits to to their customers as well. So I think we're trying to create this ecosystem, and and you know, you have to try and squeeze out uh, as much kind of uh, revenue and value uh, uh, with all the relationships you get. So if you're if you're uh, uh, starting from a new and getting uh, new clients that you have to pay for them or, or you have to you know, leverage partnerships, uh, you have to be as efficient as possible. I think uh, if, if, if it's a large institution with a huge client base, I think you can just throw out new products and test them. And, uh, but, but for us, we have to look for efficiency. And so for me, let's say I'm a brand new startup. I'm in Colombia. Could I get funding or what sort of documentation, what sort of application process do you guys go through? Because you said you reduce some of the bureaucracy, you reduce some of the requirements. So as a startup, what could I get? And then for an existing small business, how would that look like? Do I have to show previous revenue, previous tax returns? How does that look? Yeah, so uh, bureaucracy is more of a, a factor 
uh, in um, on the consumer side. So on the SME side, it's kind of a more open-mindedness to the risk assessment for that customer. So here, uh, in a lot of the emerging markets, you know, you don't have formality, and and then because companies are not getting credits, there's a mixture of using personal accounts for business, uh, uh, and uh, it, it could be it quite uh, you know difficult to navigate. So if you are in a more formal institution, uh, you will naturally reject reject a lot of these clients that maybe aren't as formal or uh, where you can't really see the business or the business doesn't uh, come up to certain kind of minimum requirements. So having a more open-minded approach, having this blended score mixing kind of consumer and SME uh, data uh, can can allow you to, to approve more people. And then also to open your mind to what uh, data sets that you can use. So if you are, um, you know, targeting this segment where maybe they have to file their normal financials once a year, uh, and you know, they they could be you know six nine months old by the time you're assessing them, and and uh, I think a lot of traditional institutions don't want to take that risk, especially if the numbers aren't that great and there could be some dramatic changes. So open your mind to using other types of data, such as bank account data, such as tax data, such as private transaction kind of purchase data, to get those trends that you need that you can uh, make uh, intelligent credit decisions on. I think those are the differentiating factors. So I think uh, we're flexible in how we can shape products and mitigate risks. So we don't have to, we're not stuck in one or two variables that are rigid uh, that that uh, a lot of the traditional institutions are. Yeah, that's interesting. And on the consumer side, would you say, because you, know, you, you mentioned there's only 8 million folks that do have a credit card, would you say the folks that are starting to get into the process of obtaining some sort of credit, do you think financial education, financial literacy is also a big component of that? Because I've seen in many Western countries where the debt to income ratios, the debt itself has been compiling significantly. So as a brand new, as a country in that early phase of obtaining that sort of credit, is that also a significant part that I, that would you say falls more on the government, falls more on you know the consumer to be able to work towards that and obtain that education or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, no, I think, um, you know, it, one of the key factors uh, on, on the consumer side that, that is quite strong that, you know, sometimes hard to overcome is experience and credit and kind of understanding the process and having that discipline and so forth. So it is important to, um, uh, to explain all the responsibilities and, and the liabilities to the customers pr- properly. And we, you know, we have educational uh, modules within our platform uh, where we, uh, we're working with the credit bureau to introduce people to the score. And, and, and Colombia is unlike the U.S. in that, you know, people, the concept of score is not that common. Uh, and people, I think, don't know how they're approved uh, by traditional institutions. So we're working with um, one of the major credit bureaus uh, to give them free access to the score, and then they can sign up for alerts and, and, and uh, other benefits uh, with the bureau separately. Uh, and then we also implement kind of a, a kind of a graduation gamification type of strategy where, where we start people off in, with smaller credits, with, with shorter maturities, and then 
uh, with history, they, they get to uh, uh, grow with us. But I think we, we've been playing around with the educational point, whether to do it in-house or third party, you know, since we started, because I think it, it's important for your messaging to appear that you're kind of a partner and that you're helping people, because in the credit game, it's all about retention and, you know, getting high customer satisfaction and keeping those customers and be able to sell them other products. Uh, I think if you're constantly churning customers and having to uh, pay for new customers, it's not really a sustainable business. So that's where, you know, the, you know, keep it simplistic. If, if, if you know, you had a very high margin product uh, and you could look at the unique economics of one loan and you could favor that over a kind of a lower margin product, uh, that's not that's that's a that's the wrong way to look at it. You have to look at lifetime value, and how do you get that lifetime value, making it affordable, by making the person, uh, uh, you know, able to come back, want to come back, and and feel kind of the the, the value proposition strongly. And, and so, in terms of that retention, how have you seen that play out since inception? I mean, especially on the consumer side, has that been going pretty well? Especially since you said you start off small and and then look at the lifetime approach? I mean, that's, I think, one of our differentiating factors in the market, especially for, for this type of product. Uh, so we're, we're, we have over 13 loans per customer. They're staying with us for, for three years, and we, well, most of the time we only had one product. We had an NPS, you know, historically always between 78 and 80. So in the pandemic, it has gone down to 70, but that's uh, understandable. But uh, it's been for, you know, seven years or so between 78 and 80, and we'll get it back very soon. Uh, as well um, and uh, it has been one of the internal KPIs so we focus on that so I think uh, you have to present the service to the customer you have to deliver and if you don't deliver you have to uh, own up and, and compensate the customer so I think we've always had that philosophy that you know uh, uh, you know we want to you know uh, treat the customers correctly and uh, always deliver what we promise. And uh, obviously, during the pandemic, you have partnered with the government, so customer acquisition may be a little bit different. But how was it pre-COVID, and then how do you think it'll look like post-COVID? So pre-COVID, it's a um, huge market, so we're targeting kind of the middle, low, middle class. So it's about twenty, twenty-five million people. Uh, fairly cheap to to get customers, and there was a need because of the lack of uh, of, of credit. What changed is that, let's say, for the core product, the consumer product, it is a kind of a kind of a general, you know, liquidity product, and because of the quarantine that uh, that we've had, um, spending has gone down, and it's more controlled. So there's no. Uh, restaurants, no traveling, uh, none of that free spending. So there's been more discipline. So I think what we've noticed is that a lot of our recurring customers, uh, that slowed down a little bit. Um, but payment behavior has been excellent, actually. So uh, through, through, through the pandemic. Uh, so And now the marketing cost is much cheaper. So we have one, let's say, negative for the business is, you know, uh, you know, some of the customers uh, are, not, are not requiring this, this one product, uh, but it's compensated by much better risk and much cheaper CAC. Um, and then I think since we're also expanding right now and, and, and going into the more software business and partnering with other people, we're trying to kind of diversify our offering so we're not just on this kind of short-term liquidity product and getting into other 
uh, loan products with our, with our partners so that we can maybe graduate our customers further along from, what, from our offering and then also not be so exposed to uh, uh, the pandemic. And so when you say partnering up, so you mentioned you're essentially licensing your IP out to your partner in Mexico. Um, how does that exactly work? And what sort of products can you add on to your software on the back end? Yeah, so it's a joint venture uh, where, you know, the technology and, and kind of the um, online fintech experience side there, uh, the Mexican operational experience and the, and the resources. Uh, we hired kind of an independent uh, uh, CEO and then one of the members of my team uh, uh, joined them there. Um, so it's going to be an independent company kind of leveraging the strengths of both, both partners. And uh, that kind of, we, we've been looking to do that type of partnership for a while, but I, uh, because it doesn't make sense. I think, I think companies like, like, uh, like us will have always benefits, you know, against traditional players. So in that maybe that we're more entrepreneurial, faster, we have maybe more advanced risk metrics, uh, better user experience. Uh, because we have to, because we're growing. And they will always have maybe uh, a strong brand, deep pockets, cheaper funding, uh, and maybe a big client base as well uh, that, 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 that can be leveraged. So we're not really getting into the SaaS business where we just kind of have out-of-the-box solutions. We're kind of picking partners and, and kind of developing uh, products together, either by you know, them financing an existing portfolio, creating new products, or in some case, in some cases, we're in discussions to do white label uh, as well, but we manage all the operations. Uh, so I think uh, uh, it's it's yeah, it's it's not a simple SaaS, but it, it is leveraging that that IP that we have. Yeah, I really like that approach. I, I mean, is that your vision as far as expansion goes? Do you, would you like to do that instead of doing it in house in some sort of JV approach as you expand? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it is scalable and sustainable. And, uh, uh, you know, to, to take it to the next level as a standalone company, you know, in these markets where capital markets are not very developed, uh, you're always going to have a disadvantage on the cost of capital. You're always going to be have to working with fiduciaries and have all these excess costs as well on top of that. Um, and then, you know, you'll always have kind of some rollover risk uh, uh, that, that's going on. So we were lucky that we kind of funded our debt just before the, or just at the beginning of the pandemic and we'd already negotiated uh, most of the terms. But if we hadn't, if we had to kind of raise debt at this point, it would have been, uh, you know, very expensive. Um, so I, I think that, you know, it's a complementary partnership, whether it's partnering with an institution to give them a regional expansion, a product expansion, or a non-financial entity uh, where they can add financial services as a component to their business where they, where they didn't have it before. I think it's very beneficial for both parties and it kind of leverages what we had. And, and instead of just being a software company, we are actually a player in the, in the credit market. So all our software is battle tested and, and calibrated and so forth. So it's, uh, it's an easier sell as well. And so after Mexico, where, what other regions are you looking into or what do you think makes the most sense being in Colombia and then having touched Mexico now? 
what other regions of the world are you looking into? So I think it depends. We have to be optimistic. It actually depends on partners. Since we're not going to be standalone, what would we want to fill? If we don't know market, we'd want somebody who has that presence in the market, maybe some operational experience, maybe a client base and so forth that we could uh, come in and fill uh, some of the holes. Uh, so we are, you know, we do have, you know, uh, different offers, you know, to look at in Peru and Costa Rica. Nothing that firm at this point. I think Peru a little bit more uh, further along. Uh, but yeah, I think it depends on the partner because even though this high-level dynamic is very complementary, it makes sense. There's a lot of kind of soft factors, trust, you know, culture and so forth that, can, uh, that you have to get right as well. And can you talk about your experience with Mexico? Because that was, you know, you, you said it was a JV, but as far as working with the government, with the fiduciary element that you had mentioned, how does that come into play? Even with a partner, let's say you've got your partner in Peru or Costa Rica, how does the political aspect, the government aspect, and the trust level with those entities, not as much the partner, but those other entities come into play? I, I think we won't have direct government exposure as uh, the same as we do in Colombia and in Mexico. We're going to be you know, just in the private sector. But uh, I think what's important when you're assessing different markets is the regulatory uh, landscape uh, and where those opportunities are, the, the um, data available, the, the payment behavior, kind of different cultural elements. Those are the things that we have to adapt to uh, moving uh, market to market. I think Mexico is a much deeper, more developed market with a lot more international investors. So the ability to, to grow and, and, um, uh, and uh, diversify there is, is much, much greater. Uh, and even on the funding side, I think there's more options uh, here. Here, Colombia is quite restrictive. In the, there's, there's a peculiar tax which they have in Colombia, uh, which, is, which is kind of four one-thousandths, which, which is four one-thousandths is taken out every time money leaves your bank account. So when you're looking to structure something, <laughs> uh, it, it, you have to take it into account. So everyone's kind of ending up using fiduciaries to eliminate that. So you can't be very creative. I think in Mexico, uh, I think the securitization market is, is, is more alive and there's more options for, uh, for funding and uh, you can do kind of more engineering there uh, than here. And you talked about funding just wrapping up the term sheet pre-COVID. And so can you take us back through which round was this? Did you bootstrap the business early on? Did you have seed funding? And where are we at today? Yeah, well, I, the one before was for to scale the portfolio. That was uh, uh, debt funding. Uh, yeah, on the equity side, uh, yeah, initially uh, had seed funding. So um, I'm lucky that, you know, I have a lot of uh, a good network for, for seed investors. So I, I worked in, in banking and so uh, in New York and London. Uh, so I had a lot of friends uh, that were interested in, in taking a bet with me. Uh, so it was, it was fairly easy to get that seed funding. And then the rest of it, to get the more institutional funding, uh, Colombia is a little bit tougher, especially that part. I think things, they've been success recently with some of the companies that, uh, that have raised big rounds. But I think when we started, it was a bit of a wasteland because the Colombian history is that it was a closed economy for a while, didn't have any successful startups or big international investment rounds. Uh, so uh, uh, we had to kind of bootstrap it probably for longer than we would if we were in Mexico or Brazil. Uh, but then things started to open up. We got uh, 
a very good um, fintech investor, which I, you know, in my opinion, the kind of the best fintech investor in the world, uh, QED investors. Um, uh, to that was Ali. Hmm? That was Ali. Ali. Ali Meli. Uh, oh no, no. Ali Meli is the debt investment that we did that, in, uh, in okay. March. So the QED investors was in 2018. So that okay. was that okay. was equity. So one, yeah, okay. that was equity, and the other one was debt. Uh, and Ali is also another very smart guy. So Ali is ex-partner in Goldman Sachs. Um, so because we're both bankers, I think, uh, and my CFO is also an ex-banker. Uh, uh, so I think it was very good. I think there was there is a little bit of a divide between kind of my world, kind of more East Coast banking and uh, kind of the West Coast startup uh, world. But I think in the credit space, it's better to go with the more traditional approach because I think it's more complicated business. And, and so when did you actually start Zenobi? Uh, we started operation in 2012, in June. 2012. And so since then, you've been primarily working on Linero on the B2C side, and then recently had developed uh, Aliatu. Yeah, so the government approached us in 2018 at the end of it to do a partnership. I think it was formalized in 2019. And that's when we uh, started giving out uh, loans. And then, uh, yeah, the Mexican JV, it's under the name Centeo, uh, was formalized uh, in, in February. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, about to start giving loans uh, in the coming weeks. And before uh, we were chatting, you had mentioned that you had grown up in London. So how did you come to be uh, sitting here today in Bogota? It's the most common reason why any expats are here. So my wife is coming. <laughs> okay. Uh, but so we met, uh, you know, in the states. So in in uh, so we we lived together in in uh, in, in Boston, then New York, uh, and then moved to London. And initially, we just wanted to come here just for a short stint. But then when I started the business, it uh, it, it got longer than than I thought. Yeah, I think we we're planning to go, yeah, to Brazil maybe. Uh, but I think now. Being away from London for a while kind of made me think that London is home. So that's probably where I'll end up uh, at some point. So you did spend time in the U.S. Is that where you started your banking career, or is that? Yeah, yeah. So I started in in New York uh, in banking, and I was actually born in New York as well. Uh, but I but uh, I only stayed there for a couple of years. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I've lived in New York, and I, I studied in New York as well. Uh, and then uh, after I did my graduate degree, I went I went back to London. And did banking again, but I switched from. I was more on the kind of the uh, coverage advisory side, and then I switched to the sales, sales and trading side. And so, starting out, I mean, you had come started Zenobi in 2012 in Colombia, and you had mentioned when we had started out, it you know the credit structure, the the ability to be able to raise, it wasn't the same as it is today. So, how was it back then, and how is it today for you know, let's say someone down the block? In Bogota or Medellin, starting a brand new business and trying to obtain some sort of funding and raising from either the local ecosystem or globally, how how would that look today? No, it's uh, dramatically different. Uh, so I think uh, Colombians are very conservative by uh, by nature, and uh, so the speculative kind of venture type investing and and then valuations associated with it uh, was not really. Uh, uh, something that was uh, very developed, um, and so if you're speaking with, you know, family offices or funds here, they were, you know, speaking on a different 
uh, wavelengths to kind of, if you're reading stuff on TechCrunch and, and reading about investments, valuations, it, it was very, very different. And then for international investors, it, it, I mean, Colombia was not just not on the map. There, were, there weren't really any, any big success stories. So probably the most dramatic change is uh, a big delivery business called Rappi, which uh, got a big soft bank investment and so forth. And that was originally uh, Colombian. And uh, they, they were in Y Combinator. I think they started an avalanche of Colombians going to Y Combinator and they opened people's mind locally to, uh, to the possibilities. Uh, because I think uh, Colombia was very behind Argentina, Chile, uh, Mexico, Brazil, obviously, the big ones. Uh, uh, and then I think there's been a, a big catch-up since then. So I think access to different investors is much, much better now. However, if your, mar if your market is exclusively Colombian, you have to pick the right sector or the right business that can get the size, that can attract the international guys. Otherwise, they'll push you to, to go to another country. So Rappi obviously is in... The most common thing is you have to go to Brazil. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's, that, that's what they say. So I think our business, because it's financial services and it's, it's quite large, you can make you know, a business that's uh, you know, at least in the hundreds of millions. Uh, and if you're successful, you can, you can reach the billion uh, there staying in that space. But if you're, let's say you're an e-commerce player, or delivery business like that, you're not going to be very big here. So, uh, so uh, you do have access to international, but most likely they'll push you to do a regional expansion. <laughs> so interesting. So you said, um, let's say I'm a local business starting off. I want to do something that is within Colombia that you know, may not have the potential to really expand out. So those family offices that you were speaking to, the old money that's sitting within the country itself, and those larger investors... What were their wavelengths like? What were what was their mindset, and uh, how do you think, or what do you think would take to yeah. really shift that trend? Yeah, no, I think um, there weren't really any success stories for them to kind of base uh, any change in opinion. And uh, what happens here, well, you know, is very different to this to the U.S. or the U.K. is that uh, valuing of of talent and management is not very high. So they would ask for additional equity. And they thought kind of the investment or the cash was the most important part of the business, uh, which it is not. <laughs> and, uh, and so changing that mindset and, and then valuing things on maybe startup metrics as, uh, you know, maybe revenue multiples instead of cash flow and uh, EBITDA, uh, I think uh, that that was not a concept uh, that they were comfortable with. They wanted more certainty. It was a very, very conservative country. So it's more traditional investing versus... Yeah, real, real estate, kind of uh, fixed income, uh, uh, asset-backed. So on the, kind of on the consumer credit space in Colombia, the biggest product is payroll lending secured by you know, person's payroll. And within that... It's, it's all concentrated on pensioners and, and teachers and people that, that cannot be fired. So it's not even a credit product as such. It's, it's very, uh, very, very stable. And then on the SME side, it's factoring. And factoring only concentrated again in, in receivables from very large corporates. So it's, uh, 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 so in the, in the high risky spaces, it's all collateralized. 
and all kind of very low risk. Uh, uh, so uh, I think that was good for us as well in that, that we were doing an unsecured credit product and what, what they claim to be, what the market claimed to be a very high risk uh, uh, area and then performing better than the market. So there was a study done by um, Experian on our, on, our, on, our, on our database. So Experian is the largest credit bureau here. And so they looked at, uh, you know, the, um, uh, I think, six, 700,000 lo- uh, credits that we did last year and, um, uh, and analyzed it by credit score bucket, you know, in, in, the, in the scoring scale from, you know, zero to 1,000. And the mark, and they compared us to the markets. And the market, even though it's primarily also the, this, this collateralized lending, was concentrated, I think, 80% in scores above 680 or 675. And then our clients were equally distributed all the way from zero <laughs> to, uh, uh, to 1,000. It was like, kind of like 999 for the first few buckets. Uh, very, very, so it was completely uncorrelated. And then we had over 50,000 clients that were not even in the credit bureau that we put them in the credit bureau through our history. Uh, so I think we've definitely created kind of a, a space here. Uh, that 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 we can protect and we can work with people and it's uh, uh, it's quite valuable. So on the opposite side of that, in terms of talent that you had mentioned, when you started in 2012, who was your first hire, and then how difficult was that? And then having gone through the eight years of transformation within the country and local environment, how is the environment today to be able to hire talented folks within within your local market? Yes, yeah, so no, so it's still difficult. I think what I mentioned before, uh, being a closed economy means that it uh, was not as competitive. So kind of the service level is not as high. So if you get a lot of seasoned executives from here, uh, maybe not as aggressive, not as sharp as you expect somebody in a more competitive market. So I always look for people who've worked abroad or studied abroad or had some kind of foreign exposure, particularly in, in, in the technology space, because you want them reading the media and, and knowing what's going on worldwide because you want to have those standards, uh, you know, to be at an international level. Um, and then, uh, you know, my first hire, you know, I'll, I'll show you the example of kind of difference between my thinking as an expat and the thinking locally uh, in that um, I was working with a consulting company that were, they were a credit score consulting company because in order to develop your score, you need to have history. So I worked with, uh, you know, these consultants to do our initial, uh, what they call expert score. Uh, and they were advising me in the beginning, uh, since I, I just come to the country, I, uh, my Spanish was uh, even worse than it is now. Uh, and so uh, we were interviewing candidates from the top university here. And uh, there was a very traditional guy who had who'd worked in, in a bank and uh, was very straight-laced. And then there was somebody who had worked in one of the mobile phone companies and was uh, assigned, he was reporting the CFO and he was then assigned to the CFO to, to uh, he made him leave the company and then help him with his kind of prop trading. Uh, he had to learn investment strategies and come up them by himself and pitch them to the guy and, uh, and work it. And the, the consultants that I, was, that I was working with um, recommended the straight-list guy, obviously. And I said, I need an entrepreneur. You know, I need somebody who can work by himself, teach himself something, and then, uh, and then do it. And then, uh, so he's been, he's been with us ever since, and he's leading our SME efforts uh, right now. 
So we have very good client retention, very good employee retention too. So uh, my founding programmer is my CTO and he's been with us since the beginning. Uh, so we've had a lot of people transitioning from you know, accounting to operations and to management and so forth from customer service. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, lo I look for that international um, experience and exposure and just to open your mind to things because in markets that are quite stable where there's not much movement, sometimes people don't have the imagination that things can change and, and be frustrated and act on that frustration. So I think if you've seen something else, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it opens up your mind to what's possible. As far as global talent goes, is that, I know you had mentioned you would be working with a partner, but is that something where, you know, let's say you do expand into Costa Rica or Brazil, some of these other markets, how would that talent look like? I mean, would you put a few members of your current team to go there and and work on developing out that product in that country? Or is that something that you would want to expand your, your talent pool? Uh, yeah, I think just um, my strategy with talent is really to adapt positions according to that talent, you know, and to be flexible there. So I think I would take advantage of anything I have internally uh, to kind of expand uh, their roles and their responsibilities and have them grow. And if not, yeah, I mean, I think we definitely need to have local guys for local markets because they're all very different. I know from afar, people think of Latin America as just, uh, you know, one, one big uh, country. And that's why kind of a lot of, you know, the VCs push this regional expansion. Uh, they think it's kind of a, a slam dunk, but uh, it's very, very, it's very, each country here in Latin America is very, very different. Uh, regulations and data, consumer behavior, competitive landscape, and so forth. So... Uh, uh, you really can't c copy and paste. Uh, lo a lot of these businesses, especially in the credit side, more, the more complicated business, maybe, you know, maybe just like that delivery business or anything where the value proposition is a bit more simple, uh, you can expand faster. Uh, but there's so many moving parts in, in, our, in this type of business that uh, you need to think about it. And so given your experience with the London markets, the New York markets, who do you go to? I mean, during this entire journey, who have you looked up to? Did, did you have a mentor during this process? And currently, what about your peer ecosystem? What about fellow founders that are kind of in the same boat with you? Is that an environment or a network that you can go to really right now within Colombia? Or are you really leading that charge right now? Yeah, no, I think locally, I think we're much further along and we have uh, more experience, especially in this space. Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that I do have, you know, a good network uh, of experienced business professionals and, and lots of companies doing very well from business school or from the banks. Uh, and I have one of my banker friends did the same business at the same time in Spain. Uh, so we kind of got to share a lot of experiences. Uh, and then I mentioned they have good uh, investors. So I have uh, the fund that I mentioned, QD Investors. I also have a very good investor in the UK who was, uh, uh, has extensive financial service experience, was uh, kind of the CEO of one of the challenger banks that went public, was the head of one of the biggest private equities financial services uh, division, is kind of a, is a very... Uh, experienced board member and multiple boards in different countries. So uh, uh, we were uh, lucky there. And as far as expansion into or within the country itself, as, as far as the resources available to a brand new company, 
that's just starting out or a brand new person that's starting out. How, you know, obviously with your experience being in New York and some of these Western markets, what else or what is that extra thing or few things that uh, Bogota can add or even Colombia as a whole can add to its current ecosystem to get it a little bit closer to a New York market or a London market as it relates to the resources and the startup ecosystem and the mindset? Yeah, I think I mentioned that one tax that's, uh, that really doesn't help small businesses at all. Uh, there's also very complicated accounting system and kind of legal environment. We had to operationally it was inefficient that you know we we couldn't didn't have like uh, TurboTax or some software that we could do for accounting because the accounting is so complex and not intuitive and not related to the business. You had to have a team there uh, separately handle that, and then the legal environment is very burdensome. I had to have a lawyer and retainer very, very early on <laughs> because you had to respond to all these requests, which we've never lost, but uh, but it's, 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 it takes a toll and it's, it's very uh, bureaucratic there. And then I think, um, yeah, incentives that the government can do on, on, the, on the tax side, on the, uh, maybe on the investor side to incentivize investments, I think would be good. I'm not, I'm not in favor of a lot of the plans that they have here and they have in other countries where governments are doing investments in startups because I don't think those end up uh, very well. There's too much, uh, you know, uh, different interests involved there. Uh, but I think if you have kind of uh, blanket exemptions from regulators, from taxes uh, and incentives for investors to come in, especially foreign investors, uh, I think those, those could help things a lot. I think the eliminating the bureaucracy and eliminating kind of the operating burden that that you have in a lot of the Spanish-speaking Latin countries uh, would, would help a lot. I think the Anglo-Saxon infrastructure is just so much more efficient and uh, it can be online and, uh, you know, here that we have to go to the notary so often. Uh, There's just little things which add up. And so for someone starting off, let's say in Colombia, what advice would you give them as, as far as how to approach it and how to, you know, let's say they do have a brilliant idea, how to approach getting the most out of the available resources that they have within the country? And is that something that to utilize the available resources within the country or to be able to go abroad, like you were mentioning about picking a certain business model that can be global? What sort of advice would you have for someone that's just starting off and looking to start up? I think it's very important in any country, I think, to to project long term because you can have a kind of product market fit validation that will work at a small scale and you have to see where you're going to end up where does this go at the uh, at the end and can you protect your uh, position you know are you going to build something that uh, uh, that really is defendable uh, i think those those are very important uh, questions to ask i think people get excited uh, by just having some customers initially or, or having kind of very small success. But you really need to kind of project out where is it going to go, who you need to partner with, because or, or uh, you know, if you need to go abroad uh, or not, uh, because it'll shape how you grow the business and kind of what investors you have as well. Because if you do want to work with VCs, then they're going to push you a certain direction. If you do want to stay local and maybe concentrate on having a very, you know, cash flow positive, uh, you know, profitable business, but on the smaller side, which is good 
business <laughs> that's one thing but if, if you want to have something that's more high profile with maybe a high valuation but uh, no cash flows uh, that's another strategy as well so uh, uh, I think you need to think of where you want to go and who you should partner with and then and then also what sector to go in as well thank you so much again Tarek I appreciate love the feedback love your mindset on also, how to hire talent, what you're looking into as you expand and utilizing all the resources that you have available. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best method to be able to reach out, say hi? Uh, well, actually, like you did, LinkedIn is, uh, I'm sometimes a bit slow on that, but uh, but, but link, LinkedIn is LinkedIn works. Tarek El-Sharif, the founder and CEO of Zenobi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Please do leave a comment on your thoughts about today's episode and make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest on the Global Ouge. Or if you already have, please share with a friend that you think might enjoy.